Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Hey, my name is Ty. I'm one of the pastors here. It is an absolute joy to be with each and every one of you. Uh, I've got a few announcements before we get started. And so the first one is this. We're going to have a worship night this coming Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. So make sure you join us for that. It'll be a great time to get together as a family and to sing songs. And uh, specifically, we'll be singing Christmas songs. And so just a great time to worship Jesus together. So don't miss that this Tuesday, 6.30 p.m. Also, uh, we've got a new season of community cohorts coming up, and so we have them listed there on the screen for you. You see all kinds of different ones there. Refuge recovery groups, those are outstanding. Maybe you've got some hurts, habits, hangups, or just some things that you really want to work through. That is a perfect place to do that. Also, grief recovery groups, uh, learning to love and read your Bible for women, the meaning of marriage, growing your prayer life, so don't miss an opportunity. There's a black QR code in the seat back in front of you. Scan that, and then you go fill out all the information or go to Centerpoint. I know what you're thinking. You're like, yeah, those start in January. It's all we're worry about that in January. Don't do that. Go ahead and take care of it right now. And then lastly, uh, last thing is this. If you've been with us for a while, we've talked about this uh, end-of-the-year giving campaign that we're doing called Beyond. And so what we want to do is together as a family, and I say this over and over, together as a family, because it's going to take each and every one of us to do this, uh, we want to raise $100,000 uh, uh, by the end of the year, and every dollar will go outside the walls of Grace Point Church, and they will go to our partners that are making disciples and planting churches all over the world. And so you heard about Acts 29. It's a, a global uh, church planting network that we're a part of, over 800 churches around the world and, and growing. Uh, you heard from... Um, Arjuna in India last week, uh, Andrew Elder in Ireland, also Carlos and Myra, Grace Point's very young people here down in El Salvador. And so I want to introduce you, maybe this is new for you, or maybe you've known him for a while, but Karim, uh, he's over in Antalya, Turkey. And so I hit up Karim and said, hey man, would you shoot us a video? Just let us know what's going on over there. And maybe for some, uh, this will be an introduction of yourself. But I want you to check out this video of Karim uh, over in Hello, Antalya, Grace Point Turkey. Church, greetings from Turkey. I'm Karim Koç, serving here at Antalya. We hope you're well and Lord blessings you during this uh, Christmas season. Uh, it has been an encouraging year uh, for us here at the church. Uh, we started uh, to seeing uh, fruits after the corona. Uh, to be honest, many people uh, has now coming to the uh, churches and interesting about Christ uh, all around Turkey. Uh, it has been a very encouraging in that sense. So we actually have two people came to Christ this year and uh, these two new brothers just got baptized a few weeks ago. It's been a very encouraging uh, time for us. Prayers appreciated for our church as well as for our city. Uh, Antalya is geographically beautiful. However, spiritually uh, is dead. We have about 2.5 million people in our city. However, less than 300 known Christian exist in our city. And this is not just a reality for here in Antalya, but also for all around Turkey. For that reason, we have not been just serving to Antalya locally, but also to Turkey and even Turkey countries close by. Our ministry provides online educational materials for churches. We publish books and provide free tracks for Christians, specifically for the church leaders. So we provide pastoral care and I'm able to visit some of the Turkey countries to um, encourage uh, to church planters and pastors there. And we also do uh, church conferences here in Antalya uh, that where we invite many people around Turkey to join us and, and study with us and uh, receive encouragement. Um, that even go further to do some retreats with pastors and their families. 
which is always very encouraging for uh, all of us. Uh, this year, we take our ministry to do one step further, and uh, we're very excited about it. We just rented a large building, and unfortunately, our country does not have any Bible schools. So uh, with renting this building, we try to provide education for pastors and church leaders. Our relationship is very valuable with you. Uh, your prayers and uh, funding us, uh, your care of your elders are very uh, important to us. And um, with, through your support, we are able to uh, do these ministries. And we are very thankful for your, your love and uh, care. Uh, unfortunately, we were not able to come uh, during the corona time. Uh, however, we are hoping to be able to come uh, to Vegas in 2024. So praise really appreciate it. And we're looking forward to see you all face to face next year. God bless. Hello, Grace Point Church. Greetings from Turkey. Uh, I've, I've got to know Karim. Uh, I've known him for years now. Just a really great guy and his family. Uh, just wonderful people. But I want to kind of put this in perspective of something he said. Uh, he said oh, 2.5 million people there in the city. And he said 300 known Christians. Now, when you put that also in perspective of when you read your New Testament, that's kind of the birthplace of the church. I mean, Ephesians and all is from that area. And now what little movement is going on over there? And so this is a great opportunity for us to go to places where Christ is not known, like really not known there. And so this is one of our uh, churches that we're going to be supporting and ministries that we're going to be supporting as well. I want to draw all your attention over to that wall again as well. You see that piece of artwork on there? It's still got a lot of magnets on it. This is one creative way we wanted to help uh, all of us get involved in giving. Go over there at the end of our gathering, grab one of these off, scan the QR code and give. You may say, well, I can't give much. I can give five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks. Every bit goes outside of these walls and helps uh, make disciples and helps uh, plant churches. Don't miss this opportunity. We've only got two more Sundays left. So you may be thinking, well, I'll just wait until next Sunday. Don't wait. Do it now. So good? All right. Let's see, it. Let's see God do uh, all kinds of amazing things around the world, not just here alone. All right. Let's get started. Today, we are con continuing our Advent series called Prepare the Way. Advent simply means arrival. Uh, we look at the first advent of Jesus. When we look 2,000 years ago when Jesus came, God came incarnate uh, and, and took on a body, took on Jesus and, and lived perfectly. And then also we see the second advent. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus, he will return and write and redeem all things. And during this four weeks of Advent, we've been looking through the first chapter of Luke, and we're going to move in uh, here pretty soon into the second chapter. But there's this theme that we hear over and over and over at the beginning of Luke. It is this, prepare the way, get ready. The king is coming. And we know as well at this point in, in time that the king has come and the king is to come. king has come. The king is to come. And today we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Uh, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. Mary's a young teenager, we believe around, I don't know, 12 to 14 years old. And this angel stood before God and God said, go tell her of this promise that you are going to conceive of a son as a virgin. So Mary, at this time, she's betrothed to Joseph. Joseph is a teenager as well. And so we have these two teenagers. Uh, and this baby is no ordinary baby. This baby is God taking on a body, the incarnation of God. And the angel tells her to name him what? Jesus. And what does Jesus mean? 
save us from our sins. Now, the story before this story is of Gabriel coming to an elderly couple six months earlier. Do you guys remember their name, the elderly couple? Zachariah and Elizabeth. He tells them that they're going to have a baby, and that baby's name is going to be? And John is going to prepare the way for Jesus to get the people ready. Now, while we've been looking at these two miraculous births, an elderly woman and a virgin. Can you imagine the pressure and the stress on both of these people? An elderly woman having a baby. Am I right? That's a lot of pressure. A lot of stress. <laughs> and an unmarried virgin teenager going to be pregnant. How will their stories unfold? If you've got a Bible, go ahead and go to Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Luke 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible here at Grace Point Church, I say it every week, you're going to need a Bible. We lead, teach, and preach from the Bible. So we have those in English and Spanish on these front tables, back tables, and also at Center Point. If you've got a smartphone, you can get that out as well and download an app called YouVersion. Uh, click events and all the fun Grace Point Church stuff pops up. Luke chapter 1. Are you there? Cool. Luke 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste. And so this is, it feels like it's following right after the story. Uh, she meets the angel. The angel tells her, hey, you're going to have a baby. It's going to be special. Uh, so Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So the angel just visited Mary. And now she's going to her uh, elderly cousin, uh, which would be Elizabeth, and she uh, knows that she's six months pregnant, and so Mary goes and decides to visit her. Now, I, I, wanna, I want you to kind of picture in your mind, how does this play out? What does it look like Elizabeth, or I'm sorry, Mary going to visit Elizabeth? In your mind, do you see her walking down the street to around the corner and Elizabeth is there? Do you see her like going from the one end of town to the other end of town? Like, What do you kind of picture in your mind? Do you, do you have a picture in your mind of what it looks like? Well, if we were to get a map out, uh, Elizabeth is about 100 miles away. Hey, did you know that 2,000 years ago they did not have cars? <laughs> and so she travels 100 miles away newly pregnant by herself in a, probably about 100-degree weather. So the next time your family makes up some kind of lame excuse not to visit you, remind them that pregnant Mary walked uphill both ways, 100 miles and 100-degree heat. The next time you're like, oh, you know, I'm kind of tired this morning. I don't want to get up and go to church right down the street in my car or whatever. Be reminded that Mary got, I'm just kidding, but some guilt right there. Nonetheless, it's 100, 100 miles away. So, uh, man, this is important. Verse 41, what happens? When Elizabeth uh, heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. A lot going on right here. Mary walks in, and she says, what's up, Elizabeth? I don't know exactly what she would say, but hey, Elizabeth, it's me. Now, uh, I don't know if you know this as well, uh, but she comes in unannounced. Uh, this is what we call a pop-in. Why? They did not have cell phones back then and say, hey, I'm going to drop by and see you or something like that, right? And so she just comes in unannounced. And in the text there, there's this baby inside of Elizabeth. What's the baby's name again? John. John. Uh, what do we find out about John earlier in the womb, earlier in the text? What, do we, what, what does the text say a couple weeks ago about John in the womb? Filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Luke, I said he was, he was trained. He, was, uh, he had a profession. What was that? Doctor. Okay, so he knows a bit about the human body, right? You would agree with that? Uh, what, 
what does he call this baby from earlier text? You just said it. Well, what's, what was the, uh, the name he gave this baby? John. In the womb, the baby has a name. The baby is a human and has a name in, in the womb. If you look later on in Dr. Luke's writings, he also refers to a toddler as a baby as well. And a, a, a toddler is a human being. We would all agree with this. Am I right? Some of you are like, yes, they are very active and very destructive. Yes, they're humans. Uh, and so he uses this word baby. And when we, we know that babies, we see right here from the text, just like we as well sometimes, we give babies in the womb names, don't we? Why? Because they're, they're humans. Babies in the womb are living human beings. Would you agree with that? All right, listen, this, I'm not making political statements. I just want to make biblical statements. Because some of you right now, there's going to be a, a tension. I, I've debated on this all week long. I've been fretting over this a bit this morning. I, there's, um, you're, I'm, a, I'm afraid you're going to get caught up in the politics of this. And what I want you to get caught up in is, is the Bible. And I want you to see what the Bible says. And, and our Bible is saying that a baby in the womb is to be named, is to be a human, because there's life there. Now, I know some of the pushback may be like, whoa, 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 well, this is Luke, and this is just his perspective. I may have a different perspective. Maybe that's just an isolated event in the Bible. It's not. Let's, let's go to the Old Testament. Let's go to the Old, Old Testament. Uh, I want you to picture a scene in, in, in Exodus. There's two dudes out there. They're, you know, the fisticuffs. They're, they're duking out. You can see I fight a light a lot. Um, anyway, there's a pregnant person beside the two people duking it out. And it says this, verse 22. When men strive together, fighting, and hit a pregnant woman so that her children, her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman husband shall impose on him. So they actually hit her. The baby comes out just fine. Uh, the guy's like, hey, you owe me 20 bucks for that. That's the way it went down. He shall pay as the judge determines. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. What's the Bible? The Bible's informing us right here. Life. For, what is the Bible calling a baby in the womb right here? It's one word. What's the word? Life. Now, I want to run through a series of questions. I want you to hold your thoughts. Keep them in your mind. Is the Bible inspired by God? Does God oversee and, and superintend all the authors of the Bible? He inspires what is being written, right? Yes. What does he call a baby in the womb? Life. So if we are followers of God, if we are worshipers of Jesus, we submit to the word of God. And we also use terminology in which God uses as well. To summarize, in, in the womb, that is a human being. That is life. And to take it further... To end such life is to end life. Someone dies. A human being dies. Now, I, I know, like, because we're like, if not careful, we'll go in that political world, but it's, it's her body, it's her choice, it's my body, it's my choice, and all that. Scientifically, we can go that route, I'm okay. Scientifically, uh, doctors will say it, it's a fetus inside, and the 
And what we find out about the fetus, the fetus even has its own unique set of, of DNA. And so further, if we want to go in that argument, we'll say, okay, well, that's a distinct human being with its own DNA. And, and I understand the world around us says, my body, my rights. But what our Bible is informing us, what our Bible is telling us, what God himself has handed down to us is this. God created. He has the rights. And so he is saying right here that this is life. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Do we allow the world to shape and critique how we view God and life? Or do we allow God to shape and critique how we view life? Christians, the Bible, God, it's pro-life. That's not a political statement. That's a biblical statement. He is for life. And, and listen to me. That's from womb and all the way to tomb. So that's all, all of life. Don't just say like, hey, we're all about protecting some babies, but we don't care about you know, when, they're, when they're adults and when they're grown up and all. No, no, no. It's from womb to tomb. What does this mean? If you have had an abortion, and I want to use that term in the context of as a contraceptive, you have taken life. If you have talked someone into having an abortion, you have taken life. You have taken life. I know, like I got up this morning and I was like, oh man, I don't want to. And part of it, some of you, like, I don't want you to. But we have to. Like, where else do we talk about this? We have God's word guiding us, and, and we submit ourselves under God's word. So we need God's word to tell us and inform us of how to view life. And this is what we see right here, that, that in the womb, that is life. What if you have had an abortion? What if you have talked someone into an abortion? Listen to me. There's forgiveness for you. Please hear me in that. There's forgiveness for you. Jesus is the one who died for that. Jesus is the one who lived perfectly in your place, and he went to the cross just for you. Your past sin, he can forgive that. And furthermore, listen, listen, listen. I guarantee there might be some guilt and shame hanging over you. Listen, listen, listen. Over 2,000 years ago, your guilt and your shame hung on the cross. My only question for you is, have you asked for forgiveness? Have you taken your guilt and shame to the cross? He is good. He is faithful. He is kind. He is merciful. He is gracious to forgive you, and he will remove guilt. He will remove shame. Now, some of you right now bristle against this a little bit. Whoa, 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 but Ty, that's murder. That's murder. Like, no, like God's not. Listen, listen, listen. Wasn't Moses a murderer? The guy who wrote most of the New Testament, what was his name again? Paul? Didn't he, ha- didn't he have people murdered? If there's forgiveness for them, there's forgiveness for us as well. Listen, if you're in that mode right now, of like you, you're wrestling with the past, let us help you with it. If you're in that mode right now of like that's an option, like abortion is an option for you, let, there's so many resources, so much help. Let, let us help you with that. Don't, don't go at this alone. Let, let us help you walk. There's so many, so many opportunities, so many programs, so many things besides taking life. I, 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 I wanted to pause there and just kind of frame that up. I want us to see that, this, that life is good. It's the way God created life. We are to value life and to help with life. And so what we see right here in the text is there's, there's joy. 
I mean, there, there's the baby leaping in the womb, and like this is, this is a good thing, good thing. Let me, let me keep going text. Some of you, you're, you're going to pause right there. If you need help with that, please see us. Please see us. Verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a great text right there. John, like, understands that Jesus is in the room and does a backflip in the womb. I don't know if that's specifically what it is, but he leapt. Like, this is, this is just the greatest thing ever. And the text says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I think Luke is very intentional about telling us that she's uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. You know why? Here's what I think, and I, uh, I kind of did a lot of study on this as well, and hoping that, I, that I, I was right in like kind of interpreting it this way. Uh, but I think what she's getting ready to do, Elizabeth is getting ready to prophesy. She's getting ready to prophesy. And prophecy, uh, prophesying is where God chooses someone to speak through them, and you see uh, someone prophesying over and over and over in the Bible, that God wants someone to know something, so he sends a person to give them a personal word from God. And there's a special kind of ministry right there, and we see this uh, from Elizabeth as well. And I'm going to say that prophecy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Nervous time. You're getting a little, you're like, oh, here we go, into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We get nervous when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We get, get nervous when it comes to the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we here at Grace Point Church, we kind of hold a continuationist view, if you know what that means. Like, we believe the gifts are still alive, well, and able. We're not a cessationist bunch that believe that, that they stopped back then. However, the Bible gives us order. That the gifts are not to be chaotic. They're supposed to be order. There's assistance. You're supposed to test the spirits and all that as well. So all that to say, if you think you have the gift of prophesying, uh, then here's what I would encourage you to do. If you have that gift and God gives you a word, I would highly recommend that you take it to the elders of the church and say, hey, help me test the spirit, because that's what our Bible tells us, am I right? That way, that way we can help sort through that. Because here's what happens sometimes. You, you may have really good intuition, uh, and you may have really good intentions, and you may do a good deal of harm prophesying over someone if it's not the right spirit. Now, you may have the gift, and that's a wonderful thing. But I, again, I, I would say, hey, it needs to be lined up with the Scripture. We need to help test the Spirit on that. So if that's you, just like, let's, let's walk through that together. We don't want to squash anything that God wants to do, but we want to test it with God's words. Does that make sense? Because here's the thing about prophecy. If it's, if it's from God, it's supposed to be 100% true. No variation, right? Big deal, 100% true. Now, as a reminder of our text, Mary uh, has no information. I'm sorry, uh, Elizabeth has no prior information about Mary. Because remember, cell phones didn't, uh, didn't, didn't, didn't happen back then, right? They didn't exist back then. Like, uh, Mary wasn't putting up on the grams of like pregnant bump or anything like that, right? And so what happens? Verse 42. And she exclaimed with a loud cry. This is Elizabeth. Blessed are you, young, I'm sorry, I'm getting all tongue-tied. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. What is she saying right there? You're pregnant. Now, I don't know if that's just women's intuition and like uh, telekinesis going on or whatever, but I think the Holy Spirit is guiding her to where she knows that uh, Mary is pregnant here. Verse 43. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? There it is. There it is. The mother of my Lord. What is she calling the baby that's inside of Mary? Lord. This is my... How did she know that? Holy Spirit. 
I think, it's, I think that's her, her prophesying. She's calling Jesus her Lord. Baby in womb, that's my Lord. That's wild, right? That's just, that's just wild right there. Now, how, how does she do that? I think Paul helps us out in 1 Corinthians 12. It says this, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Perhaps um, Elizabeth is the first Christian to ever proclaim Christ as Lord. I, I just love that idea right there. She's worshiping Jesus even before he is born. And so Elizabeth's blown away that she gets to be in the presence of the Messiah and the Messiah's mother. Look at verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. By the filling of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth gets loud and blesses Mary, as well as her baby in the womb. This is Elizabeth, in my opinion, prophesying right here. She apparently received some type of revelation from God, spoke this over Mary, perhaps for um, comfort, perhaps as confirmation for Mary. I don't know what for, but there's a reason right here that God gave Elizabeth a word, a picture of the future. Now, I know when we talk about prophesying and Holy Spirit and all that kind of stuff, we get a little bit nervous. Um, and and I, I get a little nervous on that too sometimes because like sometimes we see it exaggerated or not handled right. Uh, and so I had, I had someone prophesy over me a long time ago, and it was the wildest thing ever. So I want you to picture the scene. It's about 1999, 2000. And so I don't know, what, what did we wear back in 2000? Picture that. It's probably baggy, I'm sure. And so uh, I'm the ripe old age of 23 years old. I work for Ford Motor Company at this time. So I'm, I'm a factory worker. We build trucks and all that. And so a part of my job was I was a team leader. And so on my line, this, this factory was like a mile long. It's huge. 5,000 people worked there. On my line was a specific part we put on the trucks. Uh, and, and there were about 30 people in my team. And so I'd walk up and down, make sure everyone has what they want, uh, make sure all of our stuff was stocked up, make sure they, everything to get the job done, quality, you know that stuff. And so one day, uh, this lady, and her name was Stephanie Barber, and she always had a Bible open. I just thought that was strange. And, uh, and so at this point in my life, I am a heathen. I am pagan as pagan gets. Uh, I'm foul. I'm just a horrible human being. And so anyway, she, she, I was walking by, and we had a gap in the line, so there was no work to be done. And she says, put your hand on my shoulder. I was like, what? Put your hand on my shoulder. I'm like, all right. I'll put my hand on her shoulder. She, and she, said, she put her hand up and said, you, she looked, looked me in the eyes, Pierce, you, are going to be a man of God, and you're going to have a son. I, went, I looked at her, I was like, cool. <laughs> kind of walked down the line there, and I, I noticed Larry, uh, this other guy, he's looking at me. He's like, bro, bro, come here, come here. I was like, what, what, what? He's like, hey, man, what she prophesied of you? I said, prophesy what? <laughs> I was like, well, do I need to call HR? I don't know what happened. <laughs> He said, what, she, she spoke God's word over you. I was like, I don't know, man. I don't believe in it. You know, I don't believe in any of that kind of stuff. I said, something about me being a man of God and something about me having a son. And those two things ain't happening. One, I am not a church goer. I'm, I'm the last guy who ever walked in a church. And two, we only have two daughters. We've been trying for a while and just nothing shaking. Uh, and I kid you not, you can't even make this stuff up. Like within a few months, I got saved. I mean, like, just like, blap. I mean, like, God's like, done. And like, just saved me, wrecked me and just saved me. And shortly after that, we had a son. So <laughs> there's that. And so I'm just, uh, I, I really think God gave her a word to speak over me. And so like, I, I've, I've seen this a couple times in life. Now I've seen some prophecy go, uh, people prophesying and go really wrong. 
Uh, so again, I think testing it and all that is good, but I, I've seen it before in my life. So get, get nervous about the Holy Spirit for sure, but he's at work. He's at work. He really does. Now, let's, let's, let's look at Mary. Let's keep going. Let's look at Mary. Uh, if we're not careful, we're going to look at this sec- section about Mary. It's called, it's Mary's song here. Uh, when we read or hear about characters in our Bible, we see them as such. We see them as characters, or we see them almost as actors, or at least so super, superhuman that they're nothing like us whatsoever. Uh, well, I would argue when we look at the characters in the Bible as actors uh, that are nothing like us, uh, that is not helpful. We will either think that their situation is so unlike ours uh, that it's just a story, or God only works in superhuman people, not in people like us. And here's what you need to hear. Mary was human just like me and you. Can I say that one more time? Just like us. She was human. She had emotions like you and I did. She felt things and processed things like us. She dealt with the pressures and stress just like we do. Would you agree with that? You agree with that, right? Okay. Imagine the pressure and stress on Mary up until this point. Not to mention, she just walked 100 miles and 100 degrees of heat, uphills both ways, right? Imagine the stress she has. She's a teenager, and she's pregnant. Is there any medical care around her? I don't know if there's a lot of hospitals going on around that time. She's been tasked with raising the Savior of the world. God's like, here's God. You're like, raising. Relational conflict with significant other. We see in the other Gospels that Joseph was not happy about this. She's like, oh yeah, Joseph, I'm pregnant. He's like, by who? God? Okay, I mean, she's away from home. Is, is Joseph going to be back there when she shows up? I, I don't know. She's poor. Like, how are we going to pay for this kid? Uh, many in the culture would shun her and uh, look down upon her and condemn her and all that kind of stuff. That is a lot of stress and pressure in life. Would we agree with that? Some of you are like, like, some of those things I've lived through. <laughs> like, you get that, right? But, but what about you? What are some pressures and stress in your life? Some of you right now, you have a lot of pressure and stress going on. Am I right? It's holiday season. You're getting, to be, getting ready to be around your family. That's fun, isn't it? Yeah, families are great. Or just the Christmas season brings a lot of stress. Why? You put so much weight on Christmas. Christmas is going to fix everything in our family. The spirit of Christmas will come and save all. No, it won't. You got job stress going on, like you don't know if you're going to have a job in six months. You don't know where your job's going to be in six months. You got relational stress going on right now, your significant other, your spouse, like things are just kind of going sideways. Kids, you know, kids are doing what kids do and all. Maybe it's friends, maybe it's family members, whatever that looks like. You got health stress going on right now. You don't feel very good. You know, there's a lot going on, uh, going around right now, and no one feels very good. Maybe, maybe you just feel bad. You don't know, like, what's up with you. Maybe you got, you know, your, your anxieties and your stresses are higher right now. You got future stress, future pressure of, like, it's very uncertain for you. Maybe it's just soul stress. You ever just get stressed out in the soul of, like, man, something's just not right between God and I. Something's just not right between the two of us. It's like our, our communing is just not well right now. You've got stress. You've got pressure. Here's my question. What do you do with the pressure in your life? What do, you, what do you do with stress? Some of you are like, you know what? I'm in community. I'm in a community group. Community group of Jack Daniels, Jimmy Beam, and Buddy Weiser. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, right? It is the season to drink a ton. And that might be the way you're handling your stress. 
or maybe eating. It may be like, just get my phone out and stay distracted on that. There's plenty of things to be distracted at with your phone, and so you just stay distracted with that, or television, or computer screens, or whatever. So instead of just, you know, like dealing with what's going on and handling the pressure stuff, you're like, you know, I'll just veg out in front of a screen somewhat. Maybe it's a, it's a hobby. Maybe it's shopping. Man, that Amazon button is like worn out on my phone sometimes, right? <laughs> you're like, you know what make me feel better? Buying something, same day delivery, or whatever. Like, that'd make me feel better. Or maybe it's sex. Like, that, that might be your go-to when it comes to like being stressed, being pressured, like just some kind of sexual outlet like that, some kind of isolation, I'll just need to be alone or just worrying about things. You know what's on the rise right now? Self-harm. It's on the rise. It was like back when I was a youth pastor, like early 2000s, that, that became kind of on the scene, but now it's like really a resurgence of that as well. What if there's another way to deal with pressure and stress? What if there's another way to handle that? I, I think... Mary has got a great way, because we would agree she's probably under a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. How does she handle stress and pressure? Uh, you know what she does? She sings. She worships. What if we were to take all of our stress and all of our pressure, and we use that to fuel our worship of God? You're like, Ty, well, that's just church speak. No, it's not. No, I mean, we see Mary doing it right here. She takes all of her energy and focuses it upon God. We are created to worship. And when times when we're not full of stress and full of pressure and all that, we worship God. And times when we're full of stress and full of pressure, what do we do? We worship God. And so this next section, this is Mary's song. She sings a song. Now, as we go through this song, the question might arise in your mind of like, how is this poor, illiterate girl coming up with this beautiful song? And the answer is, one, I believe she's inspired by the Holy Spirit as well, because that's God's word. But two, it's very clear that as a young Jewish girl, she did what all young Jewish people did. They heard the scriptures, and they memorized the scriptures. Like, they didn't have, like, a book just laying around, like, hey, get the Bible out. You know that, right? Yeah, and so they, they would go to the temple. Maybe they would see some scrolls, and they'd read over those, or they at least hear the scripture, and they would memorize them. And when we read through this song, you're going to see that she knows uh, the Old Testament, it alludes to Genesis and Deuteronomy and First and Second Samuel and Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. I mean, like, she really knows her text. How does this inform us? I'll tell you how. Do whatever it takes to get God's Word in you. It is just, it is just coming forth. It is just pouring out of her. Why? She knows God's Word. And so whatever it takes, read it. Reflect upon it memorize it, study it with other people, have other people read it to you, listen to it, do whatever it takes to put God's word in you. What a comfort in, in times of pressure and times of stress. So let, let's take a look at her song. It says so much about who God is, and I want you to pay attention to how her worship is informed by who God is. Verse 46, you ready? Does time speed up when we get in here, or is that just me? It's like, man, I just looked at my time. I'm almost done. Bummer. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Love that. Uh, the word magnify, it means to make things big. I was at a, a Christmas party the other night, and I was asking someone uh, to, to get something on the computer, and she, I won't mention her, mention her name, Camille, got her phone out, and <laughs> she had magnified the font so, so largely that the word the was T-H hyphen E. <laughs> I'm playing. <laughs> It means to make something 
bigger. And what she's saying here is my soul, even though my life is uncertain with even my health, reputation, marriage, fame, and all that, all that I just want God to be honored. I want God to be glorified. I want God to be made big. Shouldn't this be the desire of our soul as well? As a Christian, what do we want more than anything? We want God to be glorified. We want God to be made known. So the question is, when we have all of our stress and pressure, just like she has right here, are we magnifying God through it? This is exactly what she is doing. How are we worshiping God through all of our stress and through all of our pressure? Because if we do not worship when all that's crushing down on us, guess what we'll do? We will worship something else. You know what we call that in the Bible? A what? An idol. And guess what? You can make an idol out of anything. Am I right? Oh, Johnny Calvin said it like this. The human heart is a perpetual idol factory. You know what that means? We're always making idols out of really good things like our spouse, our kids, money, Christmas time, what food, drink, whatever it is, we will make idols. And what's going on right here is Mary, I think, is protecting her heart by worshiping God. You want to protect your heart from making idols? Worship God. Now, she says something very specific in here. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I love that word, Lord. Sometimes we don't understand what the word Lord means, and I'll tell you what it means. It means this, God is in charge of everything, including me. Do you believe that? Now, have you ever called God Lord? When you call God Lord, you're saying, God, you are in charge of everything, including me. Do you actually believe that? Do you actually live that out? Maybe you got a lot of things going on right now. You're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going to have, you know, what's going to happen in my relationships. God knows and he's in charge. Oh my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen in my uncertain future. God knows and he's in charge. Oh my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen with X, Y, Z. God knows and he's in charge. You know why? Because he is what? He's Lord. You have another option, though, if he's not Lord. You know what that other option is? You can be Lord. How's that working for you? Because typically, here's how you know if you are Lord. Are you ready? You're going to hate this one. If you are the Lord of your life, then you worry a lot. Because worrying is just basically praying to yourself, that you're the one that's got to take care of it. And I know how we do it. This is exactly how we do it. God, would you please handle this? God, would you please take care of this? God, would you please change this? And the mentality is we're taking that prayer and put it in the box. But as soon as we start worrying about it, you need to see in your mind that I'm going to take it out of the God box and put it in my box. Now I'll worry about this, God. I'll take care of this. No, if Jesus is Lord, we trust him. We hand things over to him. He cares for you, right? Had Robinson said this, what worries or stress you masters you. So trust God as Lord. This is what we see from Mary. So she, her worship is informed that God is Lord. Look at verse 47. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now remember from last week, we love Mary. We're all about some Mary, am I right? But and if you missed last week, I talked a lot about Catholic tradition and all that, so go back and listen to that. But remember I said, don't beat your Catholic family up with it? Okay, cool. Anyway, uh, we love Mary, but Mary is a sinner in need of a Savior just like you and me, right? And so right here she calls him my Savior. Savior means I need to be rescued. When we call Jesus Savior, when we call God our Savior, we're just saying I need to be rescued. 
I need to be delivered. Now, question is, what do you need to be rescued from? Oh, so many things. A lot of times we just need to be rescued from ourselves. I would argue that we need to be rescued from sin, Satan, and death for sure. But you, need, you know what we ultimately need to be rescued from? God himself. Why is that? Because if we are left in our sin, we owe God. And we, we have to pay a penalty. And that penalty that we pay or the wages that we pay would be death. And that's just not dying because all of us will die, am I right? Some of you are like, oh, no, th- yes, we will all die. But the reality is, if, if Jesus doesn't pay for our sin, we have to pay for it, and that's an eternity in fire, in darkness, in loneliness, in constant regret, gritting your teeth, weeping and gnashing. The Bible calls that hell. And so God will punish you with his righteous, perfect wrath, rightfully. Some of you are like, well, God sounds awful. No, 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 no. He's great. He's just... He's just a God of his word. And the good news is that he gives us a way out of that. He, he, he fixes it for us. You know how he does it? Jesus comes and lives as you. And tempted in every way that you and I have been tempted. And yet he has no sin whatsoever. No, no sin whatsoever. What does that mean? He has no sin. Not of the mind, not of the heart, not of the attitude, not of his words or anything like that. Marvel at Jesus, right? No sin. And then he dies on the cross. He takes hell for you. He's innocent, and yet we're guilty. And then three days later, he comes back to to life, defeating sin, Satan, and death. That's the good news of the gospel. Everyone needs to be rescued. We start out in life on the enemy's side. We start out in life rebellious against God, not a, a family member or friend of God's, right? And so something must happen. Jesus must come rescue us. That's And she understands this. Now, question. What's the worst thing that can happen to you in life? Answer going to hell, right? Are you in Christ? Then the Bible tells us, for therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So listen to me. The worst thing in life and in eternity has now been taken off the table if you're in Christ. All right, now we can handle life, can't we? With God, our empowerer, God, our rescuer, God, our redeemer, God, our helper with us, now we can handle some life. Does that make sense? This is the good news of the gospel. Let me keep going. Verse 48. For he, that be God, has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. What does this mean? It, this means this, that when he looks down upon his humble uh, estate of a servant, this, this is what this means. God sees you. He sees you. I mean, before Mary gets pregnant and gets on the scene in our Bible, who knew Mary? Nobody. Just a few people in the town that's probably, she's a nobody from a nowhere town. And I'm sure she probably thinks I'm a nobody from nowhere, nowhere town no one sees me. Wrong. Who sees her? God. God. She's like, God sees me. God knows me. God cares for me. How important is this? J.I. Packer, the theologian, says this, what matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. Do you believe that God sees you? You know how big of a deal it is? Many of us, we feel passed over. We feel like no one knows us, no one pays attention to us, no one listens to me, no one gets me. I'm doing all these things, I'm trying to live out my ways for the Lord, I'm trying to do all these things in his name, and no one's acknowledging it. Listen, listen, listen. Do not grow weary in doing good, our Bible tells us. Why? The Lord sees you. The Lord's, 
You are important to him. The Lord sees you. Look at, look at this last line right here in verse 48 as well. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. It's not true in the certain situation right there because not a lot of people are calling her blessed at the time. She's gonna, we see throughout the gospel, she's going to take some heat for Jesus, but she has a long view of life. She understands that life is kind of like chapters, and this chapter is going to be really tough, but there's chapters ahead. And in the long view, everyone will call her blessed because of Jesus. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. This is right. She's worshiping God because he's mighty. God is powerful. He's also personal. I mean, think about that. We have a God who's powerful and personal, and she's recalling that he's done great things for me. Can you recall the great things that this personal, powerful God has done for you? That's a question. Can you? Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I can. He just did this. He's done this. That's great. For some of you are like, nah, not really. If that's you, here's what I would suggest. Perhaps you're a little too distracted. Perhaps you're just a little too busy in life. Perhaps he's doing a lot of powerful, personal things in your life, and you're just not slowing down to see it. Can I offer a help? One of the greatest things you can do is journal. Just write down some prayers, and then when he answers prayer, write those down and go back and read them. One of the things we do in our staffings, every Monday we meet as a staff, we pray for you all, we pray for the needs of the church, and one of the things we do is we have this section called Evidences of God's Grace, and everybody comes locked and loaded with their evidences of God's grace in their life, in the life of the church, or whatever that looks like, and we just sit and talk about all the good things our personal, powerful God is doing. What if you were to take your table time, your dinner time, or your, before you turn the TV on time or whatever, and as a family or maybe you've got friends with you, and say, hey, what's God been doing in your life? Where are the evidences of his grace? And just talk about them. I guarantee you'll be like Mary, and you will worship him because he's done mighty things for me. Let me keep going. Verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Generation. Mercy. What does mercy mean? We don't get what we deserve. What do we deserve? How will we describe death in the Bible eternally? That's a cheery Christmas message right there, huh? We do. And yet we get his mercy. God is merciful. And it says in the text, I love this, from generation to generation. From gen- like, that's my prayer. I want God to be merciful to me. That's my prayer. I want God to be merciful to my wife, Angie. That, that's my prayer. I want God to be merciful to my children and my children's husbands, to Kinsey, to Richie, to Tatum, to Carter, to Ian, to Cora. I want God to be merciful to the next generation, my grandchildren, to Levi, to Ellis, to Zion. I want God to be gracious and merciful to more grandchildren and great-grandchildren and beyond and beyond and beyond as well. I pray that God would be gracious. Would you pray that with me? Would you pray that God would be merciful to you and to your spouse or future spouse? Would you pray that God would be merciful to you, to your grandchildren and great-grandchildren and beyond? Notice the text says right here, for those who fear him. Fear is this awe, this respect, this reverence, this submission to God that God deserves. I'm going to teach continuously, my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, to fear the Lord as best I can with my words and with my action. Why? I want them to know the Lord because he is merciful and he's good. Will you do the same? Some of us, we stand back when it comes to parenting and teaching like that. We're like, you know what? I don't want to push anything on. I don't want to force anything on them. I want them to learn on their own. Listen to me. Don't do that. 
You're commanded to teach this to your children and grandchildren beyond. What a blessing it is. Why? Who are they going to trust then? Themselves? The government? Oh, Lord. <laughs> you? No, no, no. Teach them to trust the Lord because he's merciful. He's kind to generation after generation. Believe that. Pray that. Verse 51. I got two minutes. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and thought of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble state. I love that Mary is singing this. Why? Little old Mary, teenage, pregnant Mary, it's like she's, she's going to go fight the man. Caesar, I think she's talking about the Roman government, right? All of them are oppressed by the Roman government. And she's like, you know what? I'm not even worried about them. Why? Because there's a phrase in there, God's arm. Whenever you read the Old Testament, it talks about God's arm. What, what is typically, typically going on? War. War. There's a fight. And she's basically saying this, God will humble him. God will humble him. God will do this. Sometimes we worry so much politically what's going on in this world. We fret over it. We worry over it. We pine on it. We give it too much time. We watch Fox or CNN or MSNBC or whatever you're into all the time, don't we? And we're being discipled by that. Why? Because we're worried about it. We really think that's where the power is. Can I remind you? It's not there. The power is in the king of kings. Who is that? That's right. Mary knows this. She ain't sweating Caesar. Not at all. What's the worst he can do? Kill her. Okay. That's it? That's all you got? All right. Make life tough. Okay. Eternity's forever. It's going to be okay. I, I just love this attitude. This little old Mary, she's like, I ain't worried about him. Verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Does this mean that God hates bad, uh, God hit, come on, Ty. <laughs> Does this mean that God, I had caffeinated coffee this morning. <laughs> Slow down. Does this mean God hates rich people? And the answer is no. But when you trust in your riches, and your riches pull you away from God, then there's the problem. There's the problem. Good thing is we're not rich, am I right? wrong. We're very affluent. We're very well off. That's why it's hard for us to pray and worship at times, isn't it? Because we're so well off. We're not hungry. Go ask someone in China, someone on the street who's actually poor, how can you pray for them? They're like, oh my gosh, pray for my safety, pray for protection, pray for shelter, pray for food, pray that I don't get thrown into jail for worshiping Jesus. We don't pray like that. What do we pray for? Honestly, not much. Why do we not pray often? Because we can get our phone out and get any answer we want at any time. We can. Because we can have Amazon Prime deliver within four hours. It's true. Because DoorDash can deliver our daily Panera Bread. It's true. I mean, just think about it. This messes with our worship. Why would we sing to God and why would we be needy to God and submit to God. We've got everything we want. It's like we are gods. I think that's what that text is talking about right there. Telling us to be hungry, hungry for the Lord. Isn't that what uh, the Beatitudes talk about? Being hunger, hunger for, hunger for his righteousness, hunger for his justice. You can't get that from DoorDash. You've got to pray to the Lord for that. I want to be hungry for him. Last two verses, verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I like this term right here. He has helped. 
Help is in the word association with grace. He has given grace. He will help you. The Lord will help you. You feeling stressed out? You feeling pressure? You feeling anxiety? Go to the history. That's what she does right here. Who does she talk about in this text? Who does she talk about? Verse 55. Abraham. What do we know about Abraham? Interesting she selects Abraham. Why? There's a baby situation right there. And from that baby, we'll eventually get to Israel. And from Israel, we'll eventually get to who? Jesus. She reflects on all that God has done because God is a God who helps. See, Mary's got all the pressure and stress and all the anxieties of the war, and yet she, she uses that to fuel her voice, to sing, to worship. Here's my question for you. In all that's going on in life, and all that you've got going on this season, will you use it to turn away from God, to run to yourself, to run to things to cope and help numb and all that, or will you use it to sing to God? and to worship him. Here's my question I want you to reflect upon today. What is God saying to me in this season? What is he, like, through this word, through your own study, what is God telling me? What is God saying to me? How is God comforting me? How is God convicting me? Now, the next couple weeks, we're really going to start looking into this baby, and it's going to lead all the way up to the last day of Advent, to the Christmas Eve, Hope you join us for that. But right now, I just want to pray for us, and we'll go to the Lord's table together. Father, thank you so much for your grace, your kindness, and your mercy. You are the God who helps. You are the God who rescues. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now. May we call you Lord and actually live that out. May we trust you in all ways. Father, I pray for those that are hurting in this season. God, would they be reminded that you are the one that fights for them? You are the one that helps. You are the one that heals. That you see them. God, I pray for my my brothers and sisters as well who have, this message was convicting. There's past indiscretions. Spirit, would you draw them, show them where to find grace where to find forgiveness, where their shame and guilt can be made. Jesus, we ask that you would do your work. May it be for our good. May it be for your glory. And Jesus, may it be for your, may it be for our good and your glory alone. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.